That's the subject of valiant men. Um, this sermon is for the men. It's for the young men. It's for the boys. And it's can be profitable to the women. Understand that. Uh, but I'm preaching directly and specifically to the men this morning. Um, God made men and women. He made them distinctly different. Uh, he gave them different roles and it is very evident to me that there is a tremendous failure among men in today's time and because of that we are suffering in ways we would not suffer if men were doing the things that God designed them and called them to do um, the the uh, extracurricular activities that we participate in as a family um, we, we play baseball, um, we, uh, we do a lot in the, the horse world, the rodeo circuit thing, and one thing that I have noticed is a very absence of men, dads, in those events. Very, very prominent presence of mothers. And I'm so thankful for the mothers. They seem to have a faithfulness to family that a lot of men just don't have. Um, But in the horse world, I see mamas unloading thousand-pound animals, picking up hooves of a thousand-pound animal and cleaning hooves, and taking care of these horses and helping these children do the things that they need to do to get ready, and the dad's nowhere to be found. That's very common. In the baseball world that we're in, uh, very, very prominent presence of mothers, but there's just not a lot of dad involvement. And listen, that's a problem. Valiant men. I know everybody likes a six-pack. And I'm not talking about the drink. A six-pack doesn't make you valiant, guys. You hear me? I'm going to be real straight with you this morning. I may be dead next week and never get to preach again. So I'm going to be real straight with you. Having a six-pack does not make you valiant. Being six foot five and nothing but muscle does not make you valiant. Having everybody in the world know who you are and your name, or uh, it doesn't make you valiant. Being fast, making millions of dollars in the, in the sports arena <clears throat> does not make you valiant. Right? Valiant men are dying. They're very hard to find. Right? But a valiant man is what God has called all men to be. And I'm not just speaking to fathers. I'm talking to men in general. That God has called us to be valiant. Courageous, brave, godly. Are you with me? And I want to take just a few moments here to look through the Bible at what it says about valiant men. The word of God tells us that we do not wrestle or we do not battle with flesh and blood. Now, certainly, certainly there are times when it's just man on man combat, you know, in war and things like that. But the Bible tells us by far, primarily the battles that we have to face are spiritual battles. They're battles of the mind. They're battles against our wicked, deceitful heart. 
And those are the things that we wrestle against and battle against things that you can't even see. Do you understand that? Do you understand that there's a world that exists of angels and demons and we don't necessarily see those things fully like the Lord does? Are you understand? And our battle is against the demons and the powers of darkness that would come and deceive us. Now, listen, I don't remember who I said, who I heard say it, but I'll say this. I will never, ever let my wife and daughters go into battle before I go. Amen. You understand? Yeah. I would never say there is somebody coming up the driveway to do us harm. Tiffany, Emma, and Bailey, would y'all run out there and take care of that? I am leading the charge and I expect my boys to be right behind me. I won't do it. Because God has created and designed the man to lead. And if you read through the Bible, that is the role that he has given us. But we're not fighting against things marching up the driveway. We're fighting against powers and principalities that we can't see that would love nothing more than to destroy you, tear you down, leave you in, if not death, leave you in misery, sorrow, and destruction. Right. And men, he has called us to stand on that wall and fight for what is true and protect those that he has made to have other roles in our lives. Are you understanding me? Now, let's look for just a minute. I want to look at some valiant men and some of the traits of those valiant men. Flip over to Exodus, the 17th chapter for just a second. Exodus, the 17th chapter. If you don't want to flip there, just let me read it to you. Children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've come out of bondage with this great deliverance. It it is a, uh, in a lot of ways, it's a picture of the new birth, right? You're in bondage to the sin of the world. And all of a sudden, the Lord has delivered you through the new birth and, and enlightened you and given you a spiritual mind and a spiritual heart. And guess what happens when that happens to you? The battles begin. All right. Before somebody's been born again, there's no battle there. Yeah, they may battle against man's laws some. They may battle against their neighbor. But there's no internal battle really of right and wrong because uh, they are following, uh, as the Bible says, their God is their belly. They do what they want to do. When they have an urge, they do it. There's no battle there. There's no spirit whispering to them, this is against my law and against my commandments. You shouldn't do this. There's no conviction. But brothers and sisters, when you become the temple of the living God and he puts his spirit inside of you and gives you a new heart, the battles begin. Because what you used to do, now all of a sudden the spirit of God is saying that is contrary to what I've made you to be and what I've taught you to do. And the Bible says that the flesh and the spirit lusteth against one another. They're contrary to one another. There's the battle. Everybody that's ever been born again by the Spirit of God has it. And when these Israelites come out of Egypt with this great deliverance, guess what they face almost immediately? A battle. A fight. Now, this says, Then came Amalek, and this is in verse 8, Exodus 17, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with a rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Hur is not a a female. That's a person's name. I'm glad it's not my name. I'm glad my name is not Hur. Right? 
But these three men go up to the top of the hill and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Have you got that picture there? Listen, if you, especially you young men, I want you to be paying attention to me. Here's a situation where Moses stands on top of the hill and one person at least is a nobody. How many of you ever heard the name her? How many, if, uh, if somebody said, name the great people of Bible, not a person in here would have said, oh, her was a great man. Now you might have said Aaron, but probably not. But here Moses stand up, stands up and they're watching this battle. And when Moses has his hand in the air, Israel wins. That's something God had designed. I don't fully understand it. Israel begins to prevail. But when Moses, when he has his hands up, when his hands begin to fall, the enemy prevailed. And so the Bible says Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him and he sat there on and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were, here's the word I want, steady until the going down of the sun. Listen, there's not a single person in here. If I said, I want you to hold your hand out with a uh, half a pound weight in it. Oh, easy, easy, cheesy, right? Until about five minutes pass, <laughs> 10 minutes passed. Yeah. And then what do you start to do? Even just the weight of your hand, you would start to shake. And here's Moses. And now listen to this. Israel's success was dependent upon whether Moses could hold his hands up. But yet they do what ours would do. And they get weak and he loses his steadiness and his fatigue sets in and they start to go down. Well, here come these two nobodies who probably didn't have six packs, who probably weren't six foot five and handsome and athletic. They were nobodies, but they were valiant. And they come up to Moses and one gets under one arm and one gets up to the under arm and they make him steady. And because they make him steady, multitudes benefit. These are valiant men. These are courageous men. These are men that are willing to be nobodies. These are men that are willing to go up and support somebody so that there is a benefit to all of God's people. That's valiancy right there. That's courage. Okay, but I want to give you something a little bit better here in just a minute. But look at some of the traits of these men. In order for these men to make Moses hands steady. Number one, they had to be there. And they had to be observant, right? They couldn't be selfish. They couldn't be too distracted. They had to be in tune with what was going on. I want my friends and I want my family and I want myself. I want to be steady. I've never taken one of my children out, put a gun up on the prop and said, now, you know, wiggle, wiggle a little bit. It's fine. No big deal. What do you teach them? Steady. You teach them how to breathe. You teach them how to squeeze. You teach them how to be steady so you hit your mark. When they start driving, I'm I'm not going to say, hey, just, yeah, you know, zigzag, you know, get as close back. Steadiness. 
Now, brothers and sisters, I'm talking about a spiritual steadiness. Right. Not this. Amen. Spiritually steady. That is a trait of a valiant man who can help aid those around him, whether it's their children, their pastor, their friends, their whatever, can help them be spiritually steady. But you can't do it if you're not there and you can't do it if you're not paying attention. Keep your six packs. Give me a mind to be observant. And to be willing to be second. And hold up somebody else. Amen. Because if I can hold this up, even though nobody knows who I am, multitudes benefit. Amen. But we've lost that today. Right. Valiant men are not aware of steadiness. Valiant men are just trying to make it through the day and do, go do the thing. Here's the problem with a lot of us men. We want to do what we want to do. We are addicted to our interest. Well, you know what? I'll, t- I'll say this to you fathers. When they lay that baby in your hand the first time, your interests die. Amen. Or they should die. Right. Now, I'm not saying there's not a season and time to, to indulge in some of that. But your time no longer becomes your own. Right. And you have to be observant and you have to be diligent. Maybe you don't have children. Maybe it's just your neighbor. Maybe it's somebody down the street or a co-worker. Are you observant? And are you willing to hold that person's arms up to be steady? Let's move on for the sake of time. Go to 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter. Everybody knows David, right? Even people that don't read the Bible know who King David is. But do you know about his mighty men? Do you know about how valiant they were? Let me read you some of this. 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. And, and some of these names, y'all, I, I'm sorry. I just, they're tough. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino, the Eznite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. We always talk about Samson. This is a pretty cool dude right here, right? 800 with his spear at one time, after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo. That's about as bad as her. The Hoite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defiled the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. This is Eleazar he's talking about. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. And his hand, now don't miss this. Underline it in your Bible. This is the phrase I want you to get. His hand was weary, and his hand... Clave unto the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. What a picture! What a picture of now. Now you could say, uh, and you know, Brother Neil could probably elaborate more on this just from a medical standpoint. But this man held his sword so tight and so long. There's not a single word in this Bible that's here on accident. And it specifically tells us that his hand clave to the sword when this was done. Maybe that meant he refused to put it down. Maybe that means his hand had cramped so much that he couldn't open it. But I have a tendency to think in my mind, maybe that means, as many of us have, that he fought so long that his hand blistered. 
And the actual skin of his hand stuck to his sword when he removed it. That's awesome right there. Amen. Well, you see the picture, right? You see where I'm going? This is a mighty man. The Bible says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. How much are we cleaving to this? And I tell you, men, if you're not cleaving to this and using it to slay the dragons that are coming for you and your friends and your family, you need to. Amen. That's what valiancy looks like. Right. One day when I'm dead and gone, I'm a, I'm a one Bible guy. I wish I wasn't, but I am. Meaning that I'm, I'm a Bible note taker. I write in my Bible. And sometimes I'll flip back through this Bible and I'll look at a page and that's got some things underlined and it's got some notes written out beside it that I don't even remember the, the, the moment that I had those thoughts. But it blesses me to know here's a time that I felt like the Lord was with me. And so I've got notes all over my Bible. And this is what I hope one day. I may, I may lose this Bible. I don't know. This may never come to fruition. But I hope one day when I'm dead and gone, I'm going to pass this on to my children. And they can open it up at times and talk about dad and flip through it and see part of me on it. And I hope they know that I fought for them. This is our sword. And you better be cleaving to it. Because it is what we use to slay the enemy. I can remember a time... And hope I don't embarrass him. I don't think you, I don't think it will. I was out in our barn, and I was up on this little loft area that you had to have an extension ladder to get up there. And I was up there working on some pipes, running some pipes, some water lines. And I was sitting up there, and it was hot, you know, and um, it um, was kind of uncomfortable because it's kind of low once you get up in there. And, I was sitting there working, and all of a sudden I saw the, the top little piece of the ladder that was coming up over. I saw it kind of wiggle a little bit. And I knew there was a little person down there. And then it wiggled a little bit more. And then it wiggled a little bit more. And about five minutes later, boop, Hank's head pops up. And he real slowly climbs over, and he sits down beside me. And I could tell that his countenance was falling. And I said, hey, buddy, what's wrong? And he said, Dad, I'm afraid of heights. And he said, I'm kind of embarrassed about that. And he was, he was discouraged in his own little way. This was a couple years ago. And the Lord told me something right then. I felt like in my spirit. And he said, it is time to put your hand on your sword. And fight the dragon of discouragement for this young man. Because discouragement will kill you. And I didn't want this little guy thinking he was lesser because he was afraid of heights. 
I didn't leave that day thinking, oh, I'm some valiant dragon slayer. I thought, God, I don't do this enough. So I pulled him to me and I said, I said, Hank, there's never been a little guy in this world that's been more afraid of heights at your age than I was when I was a kid. And I began to talk to him about my experiences with fear of heights when I was a boy. And we talked about some scripture and I saw his countenance change. Now that's a small, silly example. But brothers and sisters, especially you brothers, our shields have sat in the corner too long. And they have gathered too much dust. Our swords are rusty and dull. But it is time to change that. For the sake of those around you, just like with Moses and the Israelites, it is time to change that. And for you ladies, I'll tell you this. It has not been men who have held my hands up and kept me steady. It's been her. She has done it more than anybody. Women, you have a powerful, powerful influence. But you're a sermon for another day. Let me give you one more right here as I keep reading. And, and David, same chapter. And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. Understand, they're fighting a war way off. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Now, I don't think this has got so much about him being thirsty, but a more of a longing for home. But it said, David longed, and the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. That's mighty men. You know what mighty men do? Mighty men are willing to hold up and make steady. Mighty men are willing to cleave to the sword so much so till your skin is left on it. Until you've held it so much, it's become a part of you. But mighty men are also willing to sacrifice themselves to refresh and benefit others. You think, how do you refresh something? What's one of the number one ways that we refresh something? We stick it in the microwave, right? You got something that's been sitting here that's just, ah, this is two days ago food. I don't know. You pop it in the microwave and you heat it up. And all of a sudden the freshness returns. Men, the best way to heat up those around you is to stay hot yourself. My zeal will be directly related to their zeal. My zeal will be contagious to them. And hopefully contagious to you. And my lack of zeal will do the exact same thing. If you want to refresh those around you. Heat them up by being hot yourself. I'll give you this last thing here before we close. And I'll turn it back over to Brother Tim. Uh, Most everybody in here probably knows. uh, Who Bob Ross is. Y'all know Bob Ross? The painter. The happy tree guy. We watch him from time to time. Incredible what he can do with paintings, you know. And 
I mean, he gets in there in about 25 minutes, he can take a blank canvas and, and I mean, it's, I can't even explain it. It's incredible. But I watched him one day and he said, now, let me tell you what you do if you mess up. And I thought, okay, well, this is going to be interesting. Let's see how good old Bob is. And you know what Bob did? He took a brush and he removed all the excess paint, kind of smeared over a painting that, that was perfect, but he was just making his point. And then he picked up some other paint and he began to paint over it and just made a brand new canvas. He just painted over it. And as far as you could tell, it had never been painted on before. It was a fresh coat of paint. Sometimes one of the ways we can refresh those around us is let our love cover the multitude of sins. Amen. Brother Tim has preached before that the Lord requires mercy, not sacrifice. Right. right? Sometimes if you want to bring a sense of refreshingness to somebody like these mighty men brought to David, just put a new coat over stuff and let it cover the multitude of those sins. And you might be surprised how that uplifts, uplifts people. We need to feel forgiveness. Men, I wish I had about two more days on valiancy. But our nation, our families, our churches rise and fall on whether there's a presence of valiant men or not. That's just the truth. And that's the way God designed it. So I pray that you will dust off those shields and sharpen those swords. Hold up the hands and keep them steady cleave to the sword and be willing to do what you need to do to bring a fresh sense and a renewed sense to those around you.